Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is, Who Does That? Who Does That? You ever found yourself looking at something that somebody else does that just seems so bizarre to you and you just think like, who does that? Who, who thinks of that? Who, who, like, who thinks that this is the, the, the wisest, the smartest, the most obvious thing to do in this moment? It seems insane. And I think we've all been there. And it's one thing to do that with people that you've never met, but we've all thought this thing or said this thing about people in our own family, right? Or we watch them do something and it just seems so bizarre and absurd to us. We're like, who does that? Like, what, what is going on in your mind? And this happens in my home all the time. Um, I, I have three kids with my wife, Gretchen, and two of them are boys. And they're a little over a year apart. And they're similar in a lot of ways. But in a lot of ways, they're very, very different. And, they, and yet they're trapped with one another, right? They share a room. Um, this is a picture of them. Zeke is the, the smaller one. Um, and Cohen, the taller one here. And uh, clearly, Zeke is just like, yeah, let's get dressed up today. And Cohen was like, mm, not feeling it, right? Just very different. And usually, when there's like some commotion in the house and something's going on, you know what this is like as a parent, where like you think everything's good, and then suddenly it sounds like someone has kicked down the door, and there's got to be a, a, like a, an armed robbery taking place. And in my mind, I know that's the sound of these boys disagreeing with one another in our house. And... There's one day where I was, I was laying on the couch and I was reading and the kids were outside and um, I, I'm pretty sure that Tegan was making a TikTok video and the boys were riding bikes in the front yard and suddenly Cohen comes in and he's like out of breath and he comes in and he like slams the door and he's just like, dad, you gotta talk to him, he's crazy. You gotta, he's, you, you gotta, you gotta go out there, you gotta. And I'm like, what, calm, what is going on right now? And he's just like, Zeke is out there, we're riding bikes and he's wearing these shorts, the shorts are too tight and so he's riding his bike and the seat ripped open the shorts and you can just see right down to his underwear and he doesn't like, he doesn't just walk inside. He doesn't just like quietly bow out of the situation. No, he points it out. He's showing everyone and it's so embarrassing. Like why, who does that, right? And I'm thinking like, this has got to be an exaggeration. There's no way this is really what is happening. And so I'm laying down on the couch and so I just pulled the curtain back so I can see outside and I see Zeke, he's got his back to me and he's got his like leg up on the curb and he's like motioning like this. And I'm like, this kid, this, what is happening, right? I'm like, is he showing his junk to the neighborhood? What is going on right now? And sure enough, like he, this thing happened, he ripped his pants open and he thought it was hilarious. He's just like, this is crazy. What is happening? Does this ever happen to you guys? And he's like motioning to himself and everything. And I go out there and of course I'm like, hey buddy. Uh, and he's like, dad, look at this. Oh, and he's laughing. And some of the neighborhood kids are laughing and some of them like visibly seem uncomfortable. Some of them, their parents are like, maybe we don't spend time with this family. And they're pulling their kids away. Cohen doesn't even come back outside. He's just like, I am done with this kid for today, okay? I don't even know if I can face these neighbors again, right, after what my brother just did. And I come back in and, you know, Zeke comes in and he changes his, his shorts and he goes back out. And Cohen's still inside and he's just like, Dad, you've got to talk to him. He's so embarrassing. Like, he, you, that's not what you're supposed to do, okay? You're supposed to, and I'm like, yes, I, I get that that could be, and I, I will talk to him, and I did talk to him. 
But also you just gotta know like he's just different from you. And Colin was like, yeah, he's different from everyone. And I was like, that is, that is also kind of true, right? And yet it just seems so like obvious. It seems so obvious to the one brother that what the other brother is doing is wrong. And it seems so obvious to the one brother that the other brother just doesn't get it and doesn't know what he's talking about. And the reason why I bring this up is I, I wonder if you have had a, a similar sort of experience, maybe with somebody you knew really well or thought you knew really well, maybe somebody you didn't know that well. But I wonder if you've ever had this moment where you sort of suddenly realized that you were, you were, you may have been in the same situation as this other person, but you were not having the same experience as that person. Like the way they were taking in information, the way they were responding, what seemed logical to them was totally different than you. And maybe in the moment, it seemed really entertaining to you. Or maybe it felt embarrassing or disappointing or upsetting. I wonder if you've ever been so like disoriented by the discrepancy between what you would have done and what this other person did that you immediately start scrambling for some sort of like validation from somebody else. You're like, are you guys seeing this? Like, am I, I'm not crazy, right? Like that's, you can't like, like, isn't it, is it right for me to like expect this, right? To assume this, right? Like I'm not the weird one, right? Like that's weird. Like normal people would approach it this way and they didn't do that. Like, what in the world's going on? And maybe they agreed with you in the moment. And you were like, these are my people. Or maybe they were like, I don't know. Maybe I think there's more than one way to see it. And you're just like, I will never speak to you again, right? And they're just like, they don't get it. They don't understand it. And I, I, I think the, the problem inherent to this way of being is that, you know, if I become convinced that there is one right, right way to see and interpret and approach everything, then when we clash, my tendency will be to immediately search for evidence that I'm right and you're wrong. Because that's clearly what's going on here. Like my instincts are correct and you are crazy. And I'm gonna find people who agree with me. I wonder if you've ever thought, maybe even in your own family, like, you know what? Everything would be so much easier for everyone if everybody would just think the way I do and do everything the right way, AKA my way. Do yourselves and me a favor and get on my page. And yet, that's not the way it is, right? Like most of the people that, that, that surround us, they couldn't be more different from us. And this is true on a really broad level culturally, but it's also true with our individual families. And maybe you've had that moment where you looked around at the people that you're surrounded by growing up and you just thought like, was there a mix-up at the hospital? Like, I don't know what happened. I clearly don't belong with these people. And you're pleading your case and the rest of the world is looking at you and being like, I don't know, you guys look exactly alike, okay? So you're not gonna be able to weasel out of this one. And it just seems like, okay, I get it. We, 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 we may share the same DNA. We may have grown up similarly in the same household with similar rules and expectations, but like we couldn't process the world any differently. And those differences that we experience among one another, they cause disagreements, they can cause disappointment, and sometimes they can even be the cause of the destruction of a relationship. And this sort of thing doesn't just drive a wedge between siblings, right? It drives a wedge between children and their parents and grandchildren and in-laws and spouses and cousins. And so how do we keep this from happening? And fortunately, there's a lot of insight about 
you know, this idea and just relational help in general in the New Testament. And today, I want to really dial in on one specific story that I think surfaces this conflict. And I want to zero in on some, some helpful tips about how to navigate through our differences, even within our family. Uh, the story I want to read to you is found in the book of Luke chapter 10. And it's sort of a famous story, even if you're not like really a bible person. It's a story that really revolves around two siblings, uh, sisters, not brothers. And this is how the story unfolds. It says this in verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples came to a certain village, there was a woman named Martha who welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you? that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? This is how you know this is a true story, right? Tell her to come and help me. And this is really the basis of the story, right? You have these two sisters who live at this house. They find out that Jesus is gonna come. And right away, both of them instantly and automatically they make a series of assumptions about what that means and what like, they're gonna have to do and what, is, uh, what should happen next. And because they're different, their perception of the situation and what it requires is different. Like one sister thinks like, the house isn't clean, okay? And it's like, everyone's gonna be hungry. How many disciples are there? Like, I feel like there's only supposed to be 12, but there's a lot of people out there. I feel like people are trying to sneak in and then like, who's gonna, we don't have enough food. I'm gonna have to go get food. Who's gonna cook it? It's probably gonna end up being me. And it's like, I just, where is everyone gonna sleep? I mean, is anybody thinking about these issues? I mean, I like Jesus and all, okay? But I was just like really in my head. I was like, I just wanna go home and I just wanna lay low tonight. And I just don't wanna have to, and now I'm gonna have to do all these work and these chores. I'm gonna be kept up late. And I just, I don't wanna be on with people. And the other sister's thinking like, this is so exciting. I just, I, I haven't seen Jesus in forever. And he's so interesting. And he's like, he tells these stories that are like really entertaining and inspiring. And it's just like, I feel like, I feel like it's gonna be one of those nights where it's like you're listening and everyone's having a good time and you start laughing so hard that you feel like you can't breathe and you pee a little. Like, I just feel like it's just gonna be so much. I feel like this is gonna be like a highlight of the year. And I like, I don't even know what we're gonna eat. I don't even care if we eat. I just wanna hang out. And it's just gonna be so much fun. Same family, same scenario, same situation, completely different assumptions. And there's a term for what is happening inside of these people's heads at this moment, right? They're forming expectations. An expectation is the emotionally charged anticipation for something to happen a certain way. And oftentimes these things form automatically, right? Uh, For these two sisters, they don't really think about it, like it just sort of pops in their head. The situation begins to unfold and they're like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. I know what should be done. I know what you should do, what I should do. Like we're all on the same page, right? And this is often what gets us into trouble inside of our relationships because our expectations are so obvious to us, we don't feel the need to voice them because surely they see what I see because what I'm seeing makes the most sense. I mean, surely they see it because I'm not even trying to see it this way. It's just the way that it is. It's obvious. It's evident. When A happens, we understand B is causing it, and we do C. 
That is so, I mean, I, this is common sense, okay? I don't understand. I mean, like, this is the way, I'm not, and I know what you're gonna say. You're saying, I'm, I'm seeing through a filter, but I'm not seeing through a filter. I'm just observing the facts. And then what happens? They don't see, right? Or maybe they did see, but it's like they just, they chose not to do anything with what they saw. That's what we assume sometimes, right? And in the moment, our experience falls short of our expectations and we feel hurt and we feel insulted and we feel disrespected and we feel put upon and we get that flash of anger, right, where you can feel your face getting red, you can feel your temperature increasing, you can feel your fists balling up and you find yourself thinking like, I can't believe they would do this to me. That's usually what we jump to, right? It's not usually like, man, I, there must have been some sort of misunderstanding here. Or like, oh, I'm sure they're doing their best. Or like, I guess we just see things differently. It's like, how dare they do this to me? And that's what happens in this situation, right? This is how it comes out of Martha, right? You have the two sisters that are sitting there or, or that are in this environment with Jesus and Mary's just sitting there and Martha is thinking like, this is unfair. I am mad that I'm, I'm doing this. I'm mad that I have to do this. I'm mad that I feel like you expect me to do this. And it says that she's so angry that she's distracted, like meaning that she, she can't really fully focus on or enjoy what she's doing in the moment because she's so angry, which is even more frustrating because typically she likes cooking for people and she likes hosting people and she likes having people over and she likes like being the person that is sort of serving people, but she's not enjoying it right now because of Mary. What Mary's doing in her behavior is sucking all the joy out of it for her. And I love like this, this, this painting here where you have this face of Mary who's just like so earnest and she's just like, tell me all of the things, Jesus, I'm having such a great time. And Martha in the back is just has this like snarky, angry look. I know it's kind of hard to see. Can we just like zoom in just like a little bit on her face? She is just <laughs> angry, just bitter. This is just a straight zoom, guys. That's what's in the painting, okay? Just getting below the surface of things. And I wonder if, if you ever do this. I, I wonder if you have ever found yourself in a moment thinking like, here's the problem. They shouldn't have done that. They, they, they should have done this. And like you're, you're rehearsing it and replaying the situation in your head and what they did and what they should have done. And you're just thinking about it over and over again and you can feel yourself getting angrier and angrier and angrier as you become more convinced that they're wrong. And until they acknowledge it and apologize for it and change it, I cannot be happy. You probably thought this before. I mean, it, it is a big risk to, to really give full responsibility of your happiness to the actions or attitudes of a person that you can't control. So it is a, a little bit, maybe not the best strategy, and yet we find ourselves falling into this sort of formula. And I think it would have been really easy for Martha in this story to assume that she was right 
and her sister was wrong. Because if you actually, this, this section of scripture, if you actually go to the section that's right before, the scene that happens right before, Jesus is teaching, and it's likely the two sisters were there. And you know what he's teaching? A famous parable called the Good Samaritan. It's literally in the section right before. And you know what it's about? It's famously about how noble it is to care for other people, to lay down what you want in order to serve what other people need, right? To sacrifice on others' behalf, to serve and work and invest in the people that God puts in your path. And I think if I was Martha, I would have latched onto that and been like, see, I'm literally doing just that. Mary clearly wasn't even listening to the sermon that we just heard, okay? Because she's not applying it. I am, which makes me right and her wrong. And you know what's even more annoying? Jesus isn't saying anything about it. Like he, he's like, he's not even saying like, listen, what are you doing? Go help yourself. It's just so frustrating that he doesn't acknowledge it. And if he doesn't say something soon, I'm gonna say something. So what happens is instead of, you know, calmly confronting her sister, what Martha does is she tells Jesus to tell her sister to be more like her. And this is what Jesus does. Luke chapter 10, verse 41. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha. I always read this as if he's sighing, like, ah. Other translations literally translate it, Martha, Martha, Martha. You ever do this with your kids? We're like freaking out about something. And you're like, oh, I see my wife do it. Tegan, Tegan, Tegan. <laughs> and I'm like, I go in, I get popcorn. I, I sit and I watch this conversation because I know it's going to be good. <laughs> he says, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. And Martha's just like, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus anymore. I mean, this is stupid. <laughs> right? What Jesus is saying to Martha is, Mary is present in this moment, engaging with me wholeheartedly through the lens of her unique personality. And guess what? That's what I want for you too. But that's not what's happening here because your desire to dictate what she's doing is keeping you from connecting with me through what you're doing. The issue isn't necessarily what you're doing, but the way you're each doing it. And I wonder if there's anything in here for you. I wonder if you have moments where your desire to dictate what someone else is doing is keeping you from connecting with Christ through what you're doing. Instead of being present in the moment, instead of engaging with God through the lens of your personality in a way that makes sense to you, you're just like, yeah, but what are they doing? Somebody needs to tell them. They're not, who's gonna, hey. And you're totally outside of what God wants you to experience in the moment. And I think it's, it's not that Jesus is trying to say that sitting is better than serving. I think what he's saying here is that connecting is better than controlling. And I, in fact, I think this story could potentially be told in reverse. I think if Mary, if the story had been Mary angrily telling Jesus, like, Jesus, you got it. Do you see what she's doing? 
She's banging around pots in there. Like she's making all this stuff. Like you're here. You tell her, Jesus, she needs to get in here and stop cooking and cleaning and being obnoxious and sit down and like listen to the stories. I think that if she would have said that, I think it's likely Jesus would have responded in almost the same way. Because it's not that Martha chose chores. It's that she chose pride, anxiety, and codependency over openness, vulnerability, and trust. You see, what's happening is like Martha wanted Jesus to confront her sister, but Jesus sees this as an opportunity for Martha to confront herself. And of course, she's not really interested in that. Most of us aren't. You see, disappointment exists to teach us paradigm-shifting life lessons. I think what happens is our mistake is assuming that those lessons are mostly about everyone else. Isn't that what typically happens? Like something doesn't go the way that you want it to, and the first assumption is like, man, what are they doing wrong? Like they didn't get it. What's wrong with them? Well, God, what are you trying to teach them? God, what do you want me to tell them on your behalf? God, you gotta, you gotta get their... And we don't realize that maybe there's something here for us. And so what is it that Jesus wants Martha to see? Maybe the depth of her frustration. Maybe some of the source of where it's really coming from. What it's robbing her of. Because the truth is, disappointment over a dashed expectation is often about more than what sets it off, right? Because certain situations send unprocessed pieces of our past to the surface. And this has happened to you before, right? Where something took place and it pushed a button deep inside of you and even you were surprised of the outsized reaction that you gave to that thing. And I wonder if you sort of like zeroed in on what was happening in that moment if you had this realization of like, man, I... I. I don't think that this is just about this. In fact, I'm not even sure this is just about them. I wonder if there's something deeper going on with me. I'm guessing that this is probably not the first time that Mary sat and Martha served. You know family dynamics, right? Things tend to repeat themselves over and over and over again. I'm guessing this has been going on for quite some time. And I'm guessing from the reaction that we actually have recorded that there were a lot of moments where Martha was just like, just let it go, just let it go. She'll figure it out. She'll see that you're doing all the work and she will figure it out. She's not figuring it out. How can you not see it? It's so obvious. And the bitterness had been building inside her for some time. And I wonder if you've had these moments of outsized reactions to certain situations, and I wonder if there was enough self-awareness in you in that moment to search below the surface for where that was coming from. Like, what if it were possible that your frustration about being overlooked for this promotion is maybe not entirely about that. Maybe what it is doing is surfacing some of your frustration and insecurity about being overlooked by the group you really wanted to be a part of in high school. And maybe some of that's rushing to the surface 
Maybe some of that pushes buttons. Maybe some of that draws insecurity up that you really haven't fully dealt with. Maybe that thing has shaped how you see and interpret and approach this in way bigger ways than you thought. And so, like, how do we keep from assuming that the way that we are seeing something is the way that everybody should see it, right? And how do we keep from falsely believing that the way I do this is the way that everyone should do it? How do we stay focused on who God made us to be while allowing others in our orbit to be who God made them to be? And again, I think there's some really helpful um, information in the New Testament. I wanna read you just two small passages, both written by um, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, This one's uh, in a letter to the Ephesians. This is what he says in Ephesians 4, verse 2. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, building yourselves, binding yourselves together with peace. Isn't the word, you know the most annoying word here? Always. Isn't that frustrating? Like, can we just cross that one out? Always, it seems a little bit unrealistic. Also, humble, gentle, and patient, right? Overlay that under the story we just read. Three things that like Martha isn't really exuding here. In fact, her response, right, is like, I'm right, she's wrong, get her, Jesus! Sick her! Right, that's the opposite of humility, the best I can tell. Like she bursts in the room, she's like, sorry, I gotta interrupt story time that you all are enjoying so much, but I'm doing all the work in here. And I thought you guys were gonna notice, and then when you didn't, I banged the pots even louder. <laughs> you still didn't even notice. And then I started making a lot of passive aggressive comments like, man, it sure be, be great to get some help in here. <laughs> and you guys were like, shh, oh, that really set me off. <laughs> oh. I gotta be honest, if I would have been holding a knife at that moment, it wouldn't have been good. Jesus, you gotta tell her. You gotta tell her to help me right now. That's the opposite of gentleness and patience. And what's interesting about this to me is that prayer, when you, when you really boil it down to its essence, right, it is just a conversation with God. And our understanding of Jesus is that Jesus is this mysterious God in human form, right? And so Martha is having a conversation with God, which brings up a lot of interesting questions about the conversations that you and I have with God. And here's the question I want you to think about. How many of your conversations with God consist of you telling him to tell someone else what to do? Jesus, um, you got to help her. She is a mess. (laughs) We can both see it. And I mean, I think we both know what she needs to do. When are you gonna tell her? When are you gonna change him? You gotta address that. God, I don't, I mean, I thought you knew everything, but clearly you're not intervening in the correct way. So you must, I, let me help you. It's as if in this, in this verse that we just read, like which some of you are like, this sounds familiar. And that's because we read another verse the first week in Colossians that reads very similarly. That's because Paul keeps saying this phrase over and over. It's almost like he's like, this is real important, you guys. This is something that really you need to tuck into your life. It's almost like he's saying like, look, maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're not. Either way, you can't control them. 
You know who you can't control? Yourself. And so aim your response, even if that response is, is like, mm, you're annoyed or you're misunderstanding or you want to like, you want to push back against something. May the thing that guides you be humility and gentleness and patience. There's another verse where he gives us some more advice on this topic. It says this in Philippians chapter two, verse three. Same guy writing, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. And you know what I think? You know what I think? I, I don't think Martha saw what she was doing as selfish. She saw what Mary was doing as selfish. But here's the insight. It was. Martha is being overwhelmed by selfishness. It's just packaged in a more socially acceptable way. She wanted to impress Jesus and impress all the people that came in with him with her responsibility. And in her mind, she was doing the right thing and other people weren't. And that's not fair. And she was interested in getting her to-do list done and she began to hyper-focus on it and it became the only thing that she could see or care about until the point where it eventually became, in her mind, the one proper priority that everyone should be focused on right here and now. And Jesus' response in this story seems to be signaling like, listen, there are different ways to demonstrate love. And what if, what if you are both right? What if the only thing wrong here is you trying to convince her to be you? I love this quote by Donald Miller. He wrote this book called Scary Close. And he says in it, when you stop expecting people to be perfect, you can like them for who they are. And isn't that ultimately what's at stake here? Like missing out on the amazingness of who someone actually is because you're too busy trying to craft them into who you're convinced they should be instead. And I think the tragedy of this moment is Martha doesn't just miss out on the moment with Jesus. She misses out on actually like understanding who she is and the uniqueness of her connection with Jesus. And she misses out on seeing her sister for who she is. Because the truth is, no matter who the person is that you bump up against, maybe they're in your family, maybe they're not, they don't have the same perspectives as you. They don't have the same priorities as you. They don't have the same pet peeves as you and personality or capacity as you. And that means they're not gonna have the same impulses and expectations as you do. You know why? Because they are not you. And you know what else? That's not bad. Everything that is not you isn't necessarily bad. Sometimes this slips our mind. One mantra that I, I find helpful that I just want to give to you this morning. Maybe it's useful to you, maybe not. And then you can just pretend I never said it. Releasing others to be different from me is a key to reducing my anger and anxiety. Releasing others to be different from me is a key to reducing my anger and anxiety. 
Because, you know, the logic of this idea would say that even if you don't give people permission to be different from you, they're gonna be different from you anyway. You're just gonna feel crazy. You're gonna be mad and anxious that they are not you. I wonder what would happen if you released them, if you stopped expecting them to be someone other than they actually are. I think this is a big part of what what Jesus is trying to tell Martha, trying to get her to see in this story. You want me to make her like you, but let her be. So how do we keep these truths in front of us? How do we remind ourselves of these things on an ongoing basis so that we don't get pulled off track? I wanna give you um, two principles about eating out at restaurants that I think will help help you, uh, because they're, at least they're helpful to me, that will help you keep your expectations of other people in check. And write them down. You could throw this paper away later. Maybe they don't help you, but I think they will. The first thing is this. When you go out to a restaurant, don't expect to be served something you didn't order. Think of how absurd that is. Like, it's crazy to yell at a waiter for not bringing you something you didn't place an order for. Where are my nachos? And they come over and they're just like, I'm so sorry, sir. You actually never ordered. Yeah, but I'm hungry. You can see that I'm hungry, okay? Don't I look like someone who would like nachos? Why didn't you just bring me the nachos? Right, that's, that, if that happened in a restaurant, we'd be like, this person is crazy, right? We get that this is insane in a restaurant setting, but how many of us do this inside of our own relationships? Right, we demand the other person to serve us something that we've never ordered. I gotta tell you, no one can read your mind. And in fact, people are probably not gonna be able to discern what you want through your actions or passive-aggressive jabs. We're not very good at that, which means that like, if you don't completely, clearly communicate verbally what it is that you want and need from someone else, they are probably not gonna do a very good job giving it to you. The second thing is this. Don't be expected, or don't expect to be served something that's not on the menu. Um, this therapist, uh, author, Christine Hassler, says this, which I think is brilliant. She says, don't order nachos from a Chinese restaurant. That's great advice, right? Because you're not likely to actually end up with those nachos. And it's not because they hate you at that restaurant. Isn't that what we think? Like when we're like, hey, I would like for you to do this. And if someone doesn't comply with what we want, we're just like, you hate me. You don't care about me. You don't care about my needs, right? If you order nachos at a Chinese restaurant, they could want to make that thing and not be able to. And it's not because they hate you. It could be because they don't have the ingredients. It could be because they don't have the recipe. It could be because they don't have the tools to make that thing here. Could that be true of your core relationships as well? What if certain people in your life actually want to give you what you want? They just aren't capable of doing so. What if they don't have the ingredients or the recipe or the tools to give you the support and advice and encouragement you're after? Are you going 
to the wrong person for the wrong thing and then being mad that someone you knew could not give you what you wanted, didn't give you what you wanted? How many of us like play this game over and over again? It's a recipe for dashed expectations. My grandpa died a few years back. Um, after his death, I flew in to where he lived in Kansas City, and I sat around with a bunch of my family, and we told stories. And we talked about his life, and we talked about memories, and we talked about the things that we loved about him and that we would miss about him. And we like, it's that weird thing when you're grieving where you like laugh and then you cry and then you laugh some more and then you craft where you cry laugh. And it's very confusing. And when I was on the plane coming back after doing his funeral, I was thinking back on that time with my family. And you know what I realized about all of those stories that we were telling about my grandfather? They were all stories about the things that made him so uniquely him. They weren't stories about what made him just like us. Because that didn't really feel like worth remembering. That wasn't the thing that was worth missing. What was worth missing was the fact that he was so uniquely him. That nobody thinks like that. That nobody acts like that. That nobody does stuff like that. That is so him. And that's what I'm gonna miss. And of course, I did the same thing that everybody does when they lose somebody they love. I, I hope, I hope I made it clear to him that I felt that way before he died. And I wonder in terms of you and your life and the people around you, like, I wonder, like, if, if you stopped expecting your family to be different than who they were, could you start enjoying them for who they really are? Would you want to do that now? Isn't that what you want from them now? You're most likely to get what it is you are giving out. I wonder if you switched your paradigm. I wonder if instead of just being like, oh, I wish they were and they should be and they shouldn't and I'm right and they're wrong. And I get that there's some things that you may need to work out with those people. But what if your default position was just like, oh, you know what I think sometimes when my kids or my wife do crazy things, I think, oh, that is so you. You are being so you right now. Man, this is hilarious. Like, I, yeah, this is exactly what I would expect from you because this is how you are. And it's like, it's so, it's just not the way that I am and think. And it's just so fun and funny to me. And I'm so glad that I get to be around you because you're just like a different thing than I am. Now, what would be interesting about just having a bunch of me? That's ultimately not what I want. So here's the take home. Here's the homework for you to put this into practical action inside of your life this week. Here's what I wanna challenge you to. I want you this week to tell each member of your family one way you're glad that they're different from you. And here's the second part of this, and this is key. Don't after that say, but don't do that. Okay, you'll ruin it. All right, just let it be, right? 
And it's going to be hard, right? Like, just tell them, like, you know what? This is not, you do this thing, and you're like this, and you think like this, and you bring this to the table. And that is just, that is not at all like me. And I actually like that. I think that that, the fact that you're that way makes me better. It makes our family better. I think it makes the world better. I like that you're that way. I like that that is a part of who you are. And then right as you're thinking of saying like, mm, but just like grab your mouth and just slowly walk out of the room, okay? Just let it be. Because you don't wanna be the sort of person that doesn't realize until it's too late that you missed out on the amazingness of who they really are because you spent all your time with them trying to convince them to be who you are. And that's not even really what you want anyway. And that's what I wanna pray into your life because without God's help, you cannot do it. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? Father, thank you so much for the life and the love that you give to each and every one of us. God, I am grateful for who you made me to be and the fact that you put me around people who are different from me, that you use them to challenge me and sharpen me and stretch me and expand my view of the world and myself and even you. God, thank you for using other people to wake me up to who I am and who you made me to be and how I'm uniquely made to serve you. God, I pray that you would help me to see the beauty and the people around me, to voice it before it's too late and to see them through the paradigm of your love as their creator. Thank you for the way that you made us different. May we truly, truly be in awe of the amazingness of those differences. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.